Hello, and welcome to Slush, a publishing podcast. I'm your host, Eric Harden, and on this week's episode, we'll be learning all about working in a publisher's marketing department. I am so thrilled to welcome today's guest to the podcast, not only because she is a very impressive person with a wonderful career behind her, but also because she is one of the most eager, passionate, and positive people that I've ever met working in this industry. And I hope that when I reach the point in my career that is comparable to hers, that I will have the same level of passion and excitement and just enjoyment of the work that I'm doing. Her name is Mariel Dawson. She is the vice president of marketing for McMillan Children's Publishing Group, which is quite the get for me and this podcast. And I am so thrilled that she took the time out of her ridiculously busy schedule to come talk to us about working in marketing because she truly, I don't know how she does all the things she does. And for her to take an hour out of her day to come talk to us is such an a wonderful honor, and I'm so grateful for it. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Mariel Dawson. Thank you so much, Mariel, for taking the time out of your ridiculously hectic schedule to chat with me about working in marketing. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks to you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So I'm going to jump right in because as I alluded to just now, you are very busy today. So I want to make sure we get through all these questions as quickly as possible. First, how did you get to this point in your career? Basically, give us a full rundown of your resume. So it's actually a story that's the way that it started is quite interesting and then where how it took me to where I am now. But essentially, I was very determined to get into publishing after making a couple of methods in my career or in my careers or maybe not methods, but I ultimately knew I wanted to get to publishing. I just didn't know how. And this was before everything was exploding on the internet. I'm talking about dial up on AOL. So things are really different and getting my foot in the door is different than it was today. But through luck and karma, I essentially got my resume into the hands of Steve Cohen, who was the CEO many years ago of St. Martin's Press. And he brought me in for multiple interviews in which I wanted to be an editorial assistant. Though Steve kind of was like, essentially, most English graduates are coming out with the idea that editorial is the direction they should pursue. And him having experience in the industry and talking to me about my skill set encouraged me to think outside of those lines and that perhaps I might be better suited to publicity or marketing or ad promo, he even said, which at the time I didn't even know what that meant. And that's when I really started learning all of the different divisions, the teams, and the processes that go into the industry. And after going through the process of not getting an editorial job, not getting a publicity job, yes, this happens. Jobs, you have to keep trying. It was my third attempt that I broke into marketing, specifically ad promo for St. Martin's Press in the adult division. And I was hired for that and that was my first foray into publishing. And that experience, advertising and promotion for the adult division, very different than the job that I do now, but all of the fundamentals for the job that I do now began in that position. I started as an assistant there. In the adult world, as you might know, is completely different from the children's division. And I did not at the time elect to go into the children's division. I got blessed again by the publishing gods because in 2008, as you know, the market fell out, the economy was very challenging, and publishing was changing ferociously at that moment. Ebooks were on the rise, borders had shut its doors, and one thing that remained consistent was the children's division. The children's industry continued to have opportunities for growth, and at that time, John Sargent, who you know was our former CEO, thought it would behoove the company to look at the children's division and how they could work smarter. And that's essentially how Macmillan Children's Publishing Group was formed. 
I was plucked out of the adult division at the time I was doing creative service work for Fywell and Friends and Squarefish for Jean Fywell, the queen of publishing. And she recommended me for transitioning over to the kids group. This kids group was not even formed. It didn't even exist. It was all separate imprints. Roaring Brook Press and Frostroud Jerove Books for Kids, they were all operating independently. And John Sargent brought them all together, put them under the umbrella of Macmillan Children's Publishing Group, and created a team to shepherd that new division. And I was part of that team. So I like to say that I was a foundational member of building Macmillan Children's Publishing Group. At that time, we really were a small-knit group. And we had an opportunity to look at titles individually and at scale. What benefits the titles when you can position them in groupings, when the imprints can come together in a sense, when you can promote authors and have them promote each other. And that's how we started strengthening MCPG as we know it today. Though, of course, that was the inception of that was 2009, right at the beginning of the economy. So since then, we've grown tremendously. At the time, I was on a team of two people and now... I have 16 on our team total, which is kind of massively explains the growth that we've had since then. I continued with Ad Promo while I was in the children's division, while I was forming MCPG. And I kept being an advocate for why Ad Promo should not be viewed as not marketing, that it's all marketing. And I was really determined to kind of break that down, break down marketing as we understand it. And I had some great leadership who listened to, to me and allowed me to kind of take leadership in that role, which then as they grew in their careers, afforded me the opportunity to grow in mine. And that's how I got promoted eventually to VP of marketing for MCPG. But I'll tell you, that was, you know, 15 years of career growth, six years in the adult division, and then the rest of that in the kids group. So I definitely took my time in per se in exploring where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. And now it's all come to fruition. That's such a fascinating backstory. And I do have to agree. And this is something that I've talked about and we'll probably continue talking about on this podcast. Most people, especially English majors who come into publishing, just assume they want to be editors because that's all that they know exists. And so I think hopefully this podcast and other, you know, opportunities for learning will help people realize that maybe you do want to be an editor, but maybe you want to be a marketer or a man ed person or a sub rights person. There's so many different avenues for having a wonderful career in this industry. So moving to our next question, what are some favorite projects or titles that you've worked on so far in your career? I feel really blessed to have worked on some and continue to work on some incredible books, really powerful authors. When I was in the adult division, Augustine Burroughs, that was such a big deal for me to be able to work on that. Running with Scissors had just kind of come out and I was helping to build the campaigns for his next books. And I was just a fan of his, his work, his style of memoirs. So that was exciting from that period of my life, which seems really far away now. Now in the kids division, everything kind of changed when I started working in the kids group. Everything became just much more valuable and important to me because I realized that we were not just selling a book to a reader, but that really we were instilling the love of reading with children and that that was the best way that we could promote literacy and grow our industry by giving children the opportunity to 
to read, to see themselves in the books that they were reading. So that's when I started really getting excited about marketing. Things changed when I moved into the kids division. And since then, some of the exciting books that I've worked on, I'm going to have to say one of the most exciting was launching Children of Blood and Bone in the YA space. At that time, there was nothing else like it in the market and there was nothing else that was being written with Black characters, with a beautiful Black woman on the cover. That wasn't happening. We were breaking ground and we were working with an author who was really passionate about having that opportunity to talk to more youth and to have the opportunity to diversify readership. That's when things got really exciting for me in the YA space. And then, of course, younger, because, you know, we don't categorize what books you work on at MCPG Marketing. At other houses, you might just work on middle grade, and that's all you touch. You don't touch YA, you don't touch picture books. At MCPG, we do things differently where the marketer, you could be working on any of the three formats. You could also be working on a completely different format. We don't do our marketing that way. So it really kind of exposes you to different ways of thinking, reaching other audiences, changes your marketing. In the picture book space, so many great picture book campaigns. One of my very favorites was After the Fall by Dan Santat. And that's because, okay, so Dan is a genius. Dan is an incredible illustrator, but he had taken the story of Humpty Dumpty and completely turned it into this what happens after he falls off the wall and what comes next is so uplifting, so beautiful, resonates with adults and children. It was just the name of the book itself. And then the campaign lent itself to such beautiful marketing. I mean, it was one of my favorite campaigns to work on. And then in the middle grade space, I'm going to say Wish Tree. I mean, there's so many too, but Wish Tree, Catherine Applegate's Wish Tree, because the marketing was spot on. Everybody was really enthusiastic about how we could actually be charitable, not just selling books, but also furthering some goodwill in the world. And when that happens, it's like it makes for a magical campaign. Yeah, those are all phenomenal books. I mean, <laughs> what a career. Next question is, how would you describe the work that your department does? Okay, this is a great one. So this also gives me another opportunity to talk about how things might be a little bit different house to house, which I think is important just because your listeners are coming from all different houses and, and therefore different experiences. But at MCPG Marketing, I was able to take a look at the team and think about how I would want to change it or restructure it once I got this opportunity. And for me, I really wanted to break down hierarchy as part of that. And knowing that I have so many marketers on the team that are extremely talented, what would happen if we gave them the ability to do decision-making, to take more ownership over projects? How could we move the work around in a way that gives everyone an opportunity? That was super important to me. But of course, being business and marketing, those two goals were also overarching. So how can I promote individual growth? How can I service the books in our authors best? How can I help grow revenue and sales? So that was basically the three questions I tasked myself. And when I formed the teams, I formed the three teams in those buckets. And when I explain the teams, you'll get a real sense of what our work is like. So the first team is the brand and content team. And this team is focused on our authors, them as individual brands, them within brands that we've created. How are we providing content vehicles within our own organic channels 
to make sure that these authors, regardless of their budget, have an opportunity at exposure and reaching wider audiences. So this team oversees our email marketing, our newsletters, our event strategy, third-party partnerships, works with the author to explain the campaigns, to develop social media programs. This is basically the whole crux of author care. This team basically makes sure that every author is cared for and walked through the campaign. And then the next team is the consumer development team. That team is focused on bringing readership to our books, bringing traffic to our websites, making the campaigns come alive with media. So they're the ones who are advertising on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. They're the ones who are working with influencers. They're the ones who are going to do an airport campaign for Lee Bardugo's new trailer. That team is focused on how can we bring in mass and niche readership to our books. And then the third team is the account team. And the account team is focused on working with our sales teams to make sure we're giving them everything they need to increase their distribution with their retailers. And they're also working with the sales team to facilitate relationships with the retailers and identifying that customer and providing more opportunities for that customer. So, for example, that team will carve out indie campaigns that are specific to the indie customer and specific to indie booksellers. But they're also working on Amazon detail pages and AMS campaigns to make sure that we're aligning everything we have to on the Amazon front. So that team I was very excited about because we really needed a team that could be focused on nurturing sales and retailer relationships. So we have a team dedicated to direct-to-customer, a team dedicated to retailers and sales, and a team dedicated to our authors. So that gives like a good overview of the teams. And then we can get into a little bit of like, once we start talking about what a campaign looks like and the ins and outs, you'll get more of a sense of our day-to-day work, but those are the goals. How are we achieving success with our author? How are we developing new relationships with consumers and widening our readership? And how are we working with our sales team and our retailers? That's a really great, like I've never knew, like I kind of understand what marketing does, but that's a really great encapsulation of all the work that a marketing department does for publishers. So thank you for that. Next question, what traits and or skills do you feel are necessary for a person looking for a job in your department? Either your specific department, like you're hiring someone or just in marketing in general? Okay. That's a great question. So I love this question because back when I was running Just Add Promo, I had a very specific skill set that I would look for for that department. And now overall marketing, it has evolved a bit. But one thing that I would say is collaboration. How does this individual work on a collaborative scale in addition to independent? Now, A lot of people say, I'm a team player. I love being on a team. But then when it really comes down to sharing the work and the ideas and coming together, they're like, oh, I actually really like working kind of over here. And that's a lot of what kind of changes a little bit of editorial work and marketing work. Editorial work, like you are on your, your, yes, you have support. Yes, you can go to your publisher. But it's you and that manuscript and that author. Like you're, you're doing this. On marketing, it's so collaborative. You're getting feedback from the author. You're getting feedback from the other teams. You're getting feedback from the publishers. You really need to be able to take that in in a collaborative way and then apply it to your work. So being someone who thrives on collaboration is a huge one for me. The other one is understanding that servicing our authors or our publishers or our business is not a bad thing. 
So for example, there would be, sometimes it'd be friction about, well, marketing isn't servicing. Well, no, yes, of course it is. We're in service of our product. For us, that product is books that are created by authors. So of course we're in service to them. And then how could we not be in service to publishers when they're the ones who are basically working to select the books? We have to make sure that we're providing marketing support that moves these things forward. So if you've worked in a restaurant and you get what that means, I love that because it's not about the customer always being right. That's not going to apply necessarily here, but the fundamentals of what servicing means is there. It's basically for the greater good. Do I think that campaigns can be successful without marketing? Yeah, sometimes they can. But if we're in collaboration with the other teams and we're servicing the books as they should be and the author as they should be, then it all comes to fruition. So I basically like someone who understands that there's a greater good here. And and I I need you to see that, that it's not, well, you know, we're not order takers because you do have a point of view. You know your business. But at the same time, if an author says that this is valuable to them, whatever that might be, we have to figure out why and how we can apply that to the campaign. Not, you know, not be like, no, that's wrong. There's a lot of input coming in from marketing and you kind of have to be able to take that feedback. So someone that can also handle criticism and apply it in a positive way or not just criticism, but feedback and then apply it. Those are three things that I think are huge to succeed in marketing. Yeah, that's so great to hear. And I have to say, I hear this a lot from people because I, I went to a publishing institute before I got into the industry. And a lot of people there were even talking about like, oh, should I even put my service industry experience on my resume? And I was always like, it's experience. Like you should always put, unless it's, you know, you work there for like a week or something. But if you got experience, especially dealing with people like depending on the department you're in, you're dealing with people constantly, like in Manette, especially we're dealing with all kinds of different people all the time. So that experience is only going to help you, I think. That's so right. I just have to agree with you that you nailed it. And I would actually look for that experience. So, you know, if anyone who's listening to this is thinking they shouldn't put it, no, absolutely put it. It shows like, like you just said, how you can deal with multiple personalities, how you can deal with high pressure and a lot coming at you and be flexible about it. So there's just so many things, but I love that you said that. Put it on there. People are looking. Yeah, definitely. Okay, this is the next question, and it's kind of the big question of the episode. As I've told you, this is kind of the question I really want every department to answer because I really want people to see the full scope of all the work that goes into each individual book. Because I think it's easy on the outside to just think, oh, like it's this big machine, but we're really working on each individual title specifically for that title's needs. And so... With that said, this question is, can you walk us through the standard work that you do in your role for an individual book from start to quote unquote finish? Yes, that would be great. So as you know, my role has changed recently. Being advanced to the VP role, when that happens, you're getting a step away from the book work from a certain amount of the book work, because now you're overseeing all the teams and you're having them be responsible for some of that work. But... And I think everybody who's advanced will say this, you don't necessarily let, you don't let go of all of it at the same time. So especially now, since I'm like a year and a few months into this role, I'm still in that stage where I'm letting go and I need to delegate a little bit more of the book process work that happens. So we'll get there. But right now, what that looks like is it's beginning before the book is even a book. So... One of the things that became really important in this role was 
acquisitions and essentially making sure that the team and myself and also working in tandem with publicity and sales, that we're thinking about the titles and how we think that those titles might succeed within our sphere of experience. So when these acquisitions are coming in, we're going to be expected by publishers to have some input on how we think that could work in our marketing world. So we're starting that work As soon as that title even steps foot into this house in the acquisition stage, we've got to start thinking about it. But as you know, we don't acquire every single book that comes in. So after that, you might be continuing work on those books or you might not. But it is wonderful when you do see that the book has been acquired and then it's showing up in a launch season down the road because you're already familiarized a little bit with that project. So then the next step after the books are acquired and editorial is preparing to launch them, here's where some more work comes in. So once the titles are launched, which obviously is like one of my favorite moments in publishing is when this happens. And for anyone who uses different words, when we're launching a book, editorial is presenting it to the entire, to all of the divisions at MCPG. And it's really exciting because we're getting a preview of what's coming down the publishing line. So in this space, after launch happens, Marketing works with sales and publishers to determine what titles are going to be our focus titles. And that requires a certain degree of work because you have to be really thoughtful. Obviously, we cannot call every single title a focus title because we would have endless amounts of money to support these titles and endless amounts of bookshelves to put these titles on. And as you know, that is not the case. So sales, publishers, and marketing are coming together to really look at the titles that and focus comes from this. If we're focusing on, might get the best opportunity to get into readers' hands. So we're looking at the titles as a school and library opportunity. Is it a commercial opportunity? Is this the beginning of a series that we're going to then build as an opportunity? So that is a bit of work. And once that's done, now the real work begins. So now those titles are selected and they could, it varies the amount. There's no limit. It's not like we can only have 30, we can only have 20. It doesn't work that way. It really is a thoughtful process. And it could end up with, let's just say, 40 books. Those 40 books are now going to require marketing plans that are outside of what we call our standard marketing. So every book gets our standard marketing, which means these are the levers we're going to pull no matter what for you once you're here in the house, once we're publishing you. But outside of our standard marketing, these custom plans take a lot of time and we're writing them for each book. So the way we restructured the teams now, the teams are going to focus on their spaces. We also revamped our marketing campaign document so that to create something that an author or agent would receive and that it would make sense to them. Because we were finding that that will save half the work of the communication is if they actually have a document that makes sense. So we've perfected that document. And then so essentially now each of the teams are going to write in their section of the campaign. And then we have to look at that collectively as a whole. So we're saying, oh, this author is going to be, you want to bring this author to San Diego Comic Con? That's perfect. I need an item for ALA. So we basically start coming together. After we've looked at our piece, then we come together. And Molly and I, so Molly's my counterpart. She's my VP of publicity. 
We work in tandem on a lot of things. Molly and I will then have to review each and every one of those plans and give feedback on the areas where we think we can improve or in the areas sometimes even that we want to pull back. You don't necessarily want to always go out the gate with all of these promises that if you are to get the distribution you thought you were going to get or if you were to have a reforecasted budget you wouldn't be able to afford. You don't sometimes we're like, pull that back, keep it in your back pocket for another opportunity. So at that point, Molly and I are giving that feedback back to our teams for them to implement. So now those are the books that are coming out in that season, but now we're working on the day-to-day book. So all the meetings get set up to meet those authors and the agents. And a lot of my time is spent in meetings, meetings with my team, meetings with authors, meeting agents, meetings with publishers, meetings with corporate. So a lot of my time is going to that. The book work comes back as we're in the like pre-pub space. So now we're in the pre-pub space. Now you want to make sure you're watching the docs, you're watching pre-orders come in, you're watching what's happening. You want to make sure everything's lined up to fire for that on-sale moment. So at this point, things are starting to pick up pace. Now the teams are going to do the individual work of firing everything off. That the social media is going off on that day, that the ads are starting when they're supposed to. But because I've carved out the opportunity to work with the team so individually, I know what's happening and when we're talking about it collectively. So that work that goes in is essentially, is this book getting social media? What is that campaign going to look like? Are we working with influencers? Are we working with paid influencers? Are we securing content to repurpose on our social media channels? How are we supporting this book on email? How are we supporting this book with corporate opportunities? And then basically dissecting it. How are we using the author on our platforms? How are we collaborating with the author? And then, I mean, honestly, we have so many meetings to avoid the pitfalls of what could be missed if you're not sharing the communication. So we'll meet with school and library and publicity to make sure that we're all holding hands. So they're going on tour, if the author's going on tour, that we're all in sync with what's happening next in the campaign. So for Molly and I at this level, we're not in the nitty gritty of each campaign for every book. But we are the top line overview for every book. So you really have to have a sense of the opportunities and the scale of when we can position things and move things in to benefit potentially not just one book, but more because we're not. The marketers might be dealing with four or five books a season or 10 books a season. We've got to have our fingers on the pulse of all of them even in a top line sense, so that we can go to meetings with editorial and with publishers and speak to the campaign and also then be able to pivot that information that we're getting from them. So for example, if we're getting intel that pre-orders are lacking, what can we do to elevate those pre-orders? Can we work with the author to talk more about it? Is it going to be a pre-order incentive, like an item that might work really well for YA? And then I would say at this point as well, I've really been dedicating time at looking at the brands. So Mac Kids as a brand, could we evolve that? Could we do more with that opportunity? Same thing with Fear Streets. In 2020, we launched the Baby Book Club as a newsletter and hopefully a brand to make pretty more accessible, more familiar to moms and to consumers and to parents. So thinking about the overview has become really, really important in this role, as opposed to the work that I was doing that was super book specific. It really has scaled up for me. Yeah, thank you so much for that 
really excellent overview. Logically, I know that every department does so much work, but hearing it laid out in this way is just mind boggling because <laughs> it's so much work. Could I, and I actually like, I want to lay out more of it too. So basically the communication part of it is huge. And a lot of the times people ask, well, what is it that makes MCPG successful? And I really think it's because of the way that we communicate and it's all access communication. So like, as you know, acquisitions is an open meeting. So everyone can pull information and gather information from that meeting. And then we have constant opportunities to do that. So a lot of it is making sure that all interested parties are communicating effectively. But in regards to the work that goes to make a book successful, Building that campaign and then executing all those elements of the campaign are, are nonstop because we also don't just do a, a pub date campaign and then shut off two weeks later. We're invested. MCPG is super into the long tail that we can have potential with the backlist. That if we didn't make it happen for book one, we can make it happen for book two and benefit book two and one. Like we really do double down and go back to our properties a lot, which you don't see in other houses. If something doesn't work, you know, the majority of the time for a certain house, like they just they keep it moving where we continue to reinvest in the author or continue to relook at what could have gone wrong. If we think it should have worked, we'll go back. So then you're constantly working on front list, back list, brand. You're in all places at all times in the year. And then also you're managing a budget, you're managing a team, you're exploring new opportunities. And that's one thing that I feel like hampers us when you get boggled down with a lot of work. That's when you stop looking outside of your day-to-day -day work for what we could be improving. And that's my biggest goal. What else could I be doing for these authors? What else could we be doing for these brands and for these books that's innovative, that's new, that might make sense that other brands are doing outside of publishing? that could benefit us. So there's a lot of that happening. But ultimately, you're right. It is a lot of layers, a lot of project management. Like if you're someone who doesn't like to have 50 balls in the air at one time, then publishing might not be for you. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say marketing might not be for you. And I was like, I think that's all of publishing. <laughs> for sure. I mean, managing ed, it's unbelievable what gets done in that process. So everybody is constantly juggling all of the balls in the air. And that's why that flexibility, that collaboration, that teamwork, being able to say, you know, I might not be, have the resources to do that, but I can talk to team X or team B. Those things are so important. Was that helpful? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's a really great not only specifically your role, but also as a whole, what the department does. I think that's super helpful to know. Even like I said, I kind of understand marketing, but even for me, who's been in the industry for a couple of years, this is such an eye-opening look at what marketing does. I think it's going to be super helpful for people. Oh, good. And I just want to just quickly point out, too, to make sure I don't forget, because, you know, when we're talking about marketing, there's the B2B, which is marketing business to business. And then there's B2C, marketing business to consumer. And there is a lot of B2B that goes on in our marketing work, because essentially we're not only selling straight to consumer. I'm not, you know, I didn't develop a hair product and now I'm selling it directly to a consumer on TikTok. That's not us. We sell through our retailers. We have sales teams that go out and sell to our retailers. So that B2B work is so important that we're facilitating everything we can and giving our sales reps what they need to go out and talk to those buyers. That part of the business is super important. And then like when I was talking about innovation, that's where I think the opportunity is direct to the consumer. How else can we be talking to them 
so that ultimately we form a relationship and they do the talking for us. Like that's really what the goal is, is that you're creating fans and those fans are talking about your books or about your products. So that's super important in that role. And then of course, it never stops when you're on the brand and content team, it never stops because that author if you are accessible to that author and that agent, or if it's a celebrity author, there are teams of agents and everyone has access to you. So you're constantly being in the middle of communicating with that author, with that team, and then back to the in-house. So, you know, and we didn't even touch on on events and on what we do for Y'all Fest. And, you know, it's it's so much, but it's the best, most fun work possible. Yeah, I do want to talk about it, but I think we need to move on just because of the time. The good thing is my plan is to dive more deeply into each department in future episodes. So like there will be a 10 episode arc, let's say all about marketing. So we will get into all of that eventually. But yeah, the, it's so remarkable how much work each department does. So, yeah. Next question, what would you say are the favorite and least favorite parts of your job? And then also maybe working in marketing in general as well. Okay, so my I have a lot of favorites, so it's really hard to say. But I will say, so anytime I get close to an author or an author is happy about what you're doing for your work, like that is, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. So I love author meetings. That's one of my favorite parts of the jobs. There's a lot of people that don't love these meetings. But I do. I absolutely love that. I love being able to have the opportunity to present our work to an author and an agent and to speak to that work. I love in my previous life when I was heading up the ad promo team, I love the data. Like I really think it's so interesting. And then how you can apply that data to some of your decisions. So for example, when things trend on Goodreads, all of a sudden you're like, what's this flurry of activity over here? Or you notice that ads, you're running social media advertising and the ads are converting at a super high rate. And you're like, wow, we we nailed it. We're, we're hitting the right people at the right time. We're selling to them. Love that. I love innovation that comes with working on something like the Grishaverse, which is coming up on its 10 year anniversary. And we, I was on the team that brought out Shadow in Bone to the world. And now 10 years later, it's coming up on its going to have a second season on Netflix. It's done so successful, but we haven't reached all the readers that we can reach. So thinking about brainstorming and having creative sessions on how else we can increase her readership and her brand. Oh, I have so much fun with that. That is like my favorite thing to do is to think about, well, maybe we could talk to this augmented reality place and develop something. Or like when we were doing the Gators campaign and wanting to do a hotline, like those little nuggets of ideas. I love that when that comes together. And then when you see it come together, when you see it all make sense. There was this time when we took out the side of Madame Tussauds in LA and we put a huge billboard of the Children of Blood and Bone cover on that side of that building. Building, and everyone that was leaving the Wrinkle in Time premiere in Los Angeles, because that was premiering, would see this. And it caused, it did cause a moment. Like it definitely had some, there was people were taking note. And that was really cool because like we never did that before. Any opportunity to explore innovation, I really am hung up on being the first. I really like to be the first one to try something for books and then have it work. That's my favorite. And then the least favorite, I would say, is what is my least favorite part of the job? Well, fine. Since I'm being honest, I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you. Okay. My least favorite part is actually acquisitions. 
now I'm because <laughs> because I'm I'm really I really feel like a marketer and I know that I can apply a point of view on why I think something could work or not work in the marketplace and what I'm seeing in the marketplace to influence that. But I just don't want to. Like if that's happening over here, I trust our publishers and our editors so much that I feel like see you at launch and I'm good. <laughs> Like, I trust you guys to bring the books in and I'll market them. <laughs> That's such an interesting answer because I feel like I've heard not just, you know, across the industry, I've heard people discuss about how back in the olden days, marketing and sales really weren't involved in acquisitions. And like, they lament that, oh, I wish we didn't have to like present to them. And so it's so interesting to hear the VP of marketing at MCPG say like, I trust you guys, you do it. <laughs> it's such an interesting answer. I never would have expected that. Yeah, I wonder what Besser would say. I mean, she probably knows. It's just like, I have so much work to do for marketing. And so much of that work excites me that I can, it's like, I don't really need to be in that process, but they want us in that process and they love it when we are. So we're there. There's no going back. But of all the things to do, I also, I have to be honest, it disappoints me when we come up with like a really creative way to try and get that acquisition and we put the time in and then it's like, yeah, no, they went with someone else. Oh, you're like, oh. <laughs> so it's just not my favorite. We were talking favorites. That's not it. Yeah, definitely. Okay, next question. What is one thing you wish you knew about publishing or your role before starting working in the industry? Before starting working in the industry. Okay, I wish I knew before I started working in the industry how much it was going to impact my reading. <laughs> so I got into this because I was a reader. I was a bookworm. I've been a bookworm my whole life. And all I wanted to do was be surrounded by books. You know, to this day, that's how I envision retirement. Just give me a cabin, fireplace, books. If we get a lake, that would be amazing. But And my books. And that's like all I need. My dog. But in any event, so the reading really changes once you're actually in the industry. So you're balancing the reading that you want to do for pleasure the reading that you want to do for work, the reading that you want to do to know what's going on in the marketplace. So it's like a lot of reading, but it's not always exactly the reading you want to be reading because you've got to do the acquisition reading. So it changed my reading. And that is something I would not have necessarily predicted because I just kind of thought I would be swimming in my favorite books. And that's not always the case. Yeah, I 100% agree. Last year, actually, I made a pact that I would read 100 books. And I did. I completed that non-workbooks. Like I didn't count any workbooks to the count. And I did it, but then <laughs> I did too much reading. And so now I have read like three books this year. So <laughs> I think I need to find a happy medium. But I do. I, I That's such a common thing for people in the industry that like they grew up loving reading and then they get in the industry and they're like, oh, I don't have time to do this anymore. Yeah, exactly. And you're like juggling the thing that is your favorite thing to do. So that's that's something you really got to learn. And like you said, you don't want to be in a place where you're like, why am I not reading? All of a sudden, I'm only reading the things I don't want to read. Yeah, it takes some skill to manage. Yeah, definitely. Okay. If given the power, what would you change about publishing as an industry? Like as a whole, you have all the power in the world one day to fundamentally change publishing as an industry. What would you change? That's a huge question. I mean, I feel like that's what Yeg is going to have to figure out. Like, we need more money. So <laughs> basically, the one thing that has always been a challenge 
since I've started working in publishing has been resources and that's personnel resources and budgetary resources and pay scale resources. Those have always been a real challenge. And I don't know what the solution is, but it's exhausting. And I think this new generation coming in doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense to them. We're not going to be able to retain marketing talent if we can't afford to pay marketers what they could get with that same skill set in another media avenue. We are a form of entertainment and we've seen these entertainment businesses take off and, you know, like cash cows. So it's like, why, you know, why are we constantly never working with enough people? There's never enough people on the team and there's never enough budget and money in the budget for what we want to do. Like today I was emailing with someone who I'm trying to get an airport campaign going for the Grishaverse this summer. And, you know, the first thing he wrote back was like, you know, let's jump on the phone. I'm curious to hear your budget. I know that publishers' budgets are often really limited. You know, yeah, that sucks. It makes it a lot harder to to do the things that other brands are doing when we're hampered on what we can afford to do with our marketing budgets. So our budgets are small. And then, of course, obviously, I think what we get paid, we've done a lot better. We are not where I was back when I started, but it's still not exactly right. So something's not adding up. And that's the thing that needs to change because we need to retain that talent. We need people to keep coming back here and growing this industry and evolving this industry. Somewhere down the stream, the revenue needs to like improve. Do we publish less books? I don't know. Is that a thing? Because it seems like we only publish more and more and more. But it's just I've I've constantly been like this. There's never a time where I haven't been, oh, I forgot, you guys can't see me. I was doing the expression of being underwater. There's just never been a time where I was like, wow, I, you know, I, I accomplished everything on my to-do list and tomorrow I get to start fresh. That never happens. It's just, we are a little short step. We, we've somehow learned how to succeed with limited resources. And I'd love to see if we could catapult some of that success into stabilizing resources. Yeah, I just did an interview with Makisha, actually, and that was one of her answers, too. Like, we just need more money in this industry overall. And I think I think as I keep asking this question, I think that's going to come up a lot because it's just <laughs> I don't know how sometimes I'm like, do I have to leave this industry? Like, I love books. I never want to leave. But with the same kind of work I'm doing, I could be making like a hundred thousand dollars somewhere else. And it's like, you know, I love books and like I'm passionate about literacy and everything. But at the end of the day, I'm a human who has to like eat food and live. And so I could live much easier working at a different job that pays me so much more. So it's it's a tough balance, especially when you're looking at starting a new career and you want to work with books, but you're like, oh my gosh, I will never have expendable income. <laughs> yes, it's a very real challenge. And and also losing that talent is a huge challenge. Like that great exodus of everyone leaving last year, you know, um, not just at, I'm not talking about just Macmillan or MCPG, but other people exploring other opportunities because of these questions. I mean, it's, it's like how many times is the industry going to be capable of facing that? It makes it very difficult. And from the inception of being an assistant to the point now that I'm a VP, this has never necessarily gotten better. But I will say this, I saw John Yeagid take MCPG from a little tiny rock and create a mountain. Like, I believe in him. So I think he's got the smarts to figure out how to lead this company into a profitable future. That's his business, Sammy. That's him. That I can't do. 
But I hope, John, if you're listening, we need, <laughs> we need some money. <laughs> yeah, and I hope there are Johns across the industry, too, who are doing that because it's not just Macmillan. It's an industry-wide issue. This is not... Macmillan hopefully fixes it, and that would be amazing, and I would never leave. But, like, at the end of the day, it's an industry-wide problem that everyone has to address at some point or, you know, industry will crumble, you know. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. This is the last official question I have. What is the best advice that you've received thus far in your career? Okay. So I, I mean, I've had such great leadership and great mentors throughout my career. So I had like little nuggets from all of them, but essentially Nancy Tripak, definitely she's right now the VP of Flatiron. She's one of the most creative people that I know. She definitely, her advice that she had given to me was, you don't have to do just this job that's in front of you. There's so much work that can happen. There's so much opportunity. Go for it and you can make things happen. So I basically carved out my roles from that advice because I wasn't going to be pigeonholed into ad promo like, Okay, you're an ad promo. You can only think about ads and you can only think about promo. That would not have been successful because you have to think outside of that to make those connections, to collaborate effectively, to see like what else you can do. And if I had just kept my head down and only worked on displays and trade ads, I don't think I would have gotten very far. So she told me that I can look outside my role for opportunity and then I would find it because there's enough to go around. And it's true. Like if I, you know, there, and, it, and it's true at McMillan, there's plenty of opportunities to keep learning if you want to keep evolving professionally. So that was Nancy. And then with Eileen, Eileen was the one who, Eileen Lawrence, who is the vice president of marketing for tour. She told me to use my voice to not be afraid to give my opinion. No such thing as, you know, a stupid idea. Because in marketing, sometimes those stupid ideas are the things that completely work and that everything needed. Like we did, you know, a picture book on potatoes and we mailed out potatoes. The actual potato came in the mail with a mailing label. You could do that. The United States Postal Service will let you. For a book called Potato Pants by Lori Keller. That was hard. That went over so well. People loved that. That wasn't my idea. That was some somebody else. I think he was an assistant, actually. He thought of that idea. You know, so no, it's not stupid to mail a potato. All ideas have merit and there might be value in it. And even if we don't do it, we might change it for the future, back pocket it, you know, whatever it could be. But use your voice. If you don't say it, either A, someone else will, or B, your moment's going to pass. And and no one's going to think anything of you for saying it if we don't do it. But you don't really get much of an impression if you say nothing at all. You don't really make much of an impression if you say nothing at all. So using your voice. And then the last one I'll say is Alison Verost, who's currently publisher of Roaring Book Press for a second F- FSG. Her advice, and honestly, like I still think about this, her advice was, you know, fake it till you make it. And by that, she really meant you have the skill set, you have the experience, you know this. But if you feel like you don't, pretend like you do and other people are going to follow suit. So like if you're in an environment that's high pressure, you're in a situation, you're in a meeting, you know, like I was in a meeting with big name author. Okay, that was a big deal for me. And she was talking about her picture book and I'm with Jean Fywell, you know, that's a big deal for me. I was faking it till I made it through that meeting because it's big name author. So like that's a big deal. 
And I had to use a little bit of the AV advice to be like, no, I know this. I got this. I'm going in there and, you know, I'm going to nail it. But that's basically sums up kind of like a lot of that intrinsically comes down to believing in yourself. If you think about what all three of them said. That's such great advice. Thank you so much for offering that to the listeners. I think that's going to be super helpful. I know you have to run now. So just two last very quick questions. Number one, if you want people to follow you online, where can they follow you? And then number two, if there are any projects upcoming that you're really excited that you want to shout out about, please let us know. Oh, I love these last two questions. Yes, I would love for you to follow me. I am not on Twitter, but my handle's there, but I'm not active, but I am active on Instagram. My handle's at Dawson. That was a nickname that I used to have in marketing, but we can get to that another time. And then I'm also on Facebook with my full name, Mariel Dawson. Okay. And then as far as projects that are coming up, so fall, I should just call it Celebrity Fall because we have so many celebrity books coming out. Picture books with Jennifer Lopez and Jimmy Fallon called Con Pollo, which is nice because we'll be working on expanding our readership in the Latinx market, which is super important to me. But the celebrity books aren't what I'm excited about, even though they're wonderful and it's going to be great. The books that I'm really excited about are two of them. One is a graphic novel called Frizzy, and this is coming out from First Second. And this book is from Clarabelle Ortega, and she's NYT bestselling author. This is a middle grade novel. Okay. And the reason why I'm also excited about this is my kids are getting into that age and they're all about graphic novels now. So I get and I see how much this particular format is exploding with this level of readers, like the, you know, eight to 12 set. And there's so much opportunity to expand that. So I'm thrilled that we're doing a book that's about hair. That's essentially about, it's, it's a diverse book. It's about a girl named Marlene who stops straightening her hair and then learns to embrace her natural hair. And I really think that it's a beautiful story that's going to resonate with the right readership. Excited about that. And then We Deserve Monuments for YA. I'm so excited about. This is by Jazz Hammonds. She's a debut author. This book has it all. It's got an incredible storyline. It has diversity. It has LGBTQ themes to explore. I mean, it's just got everything and the package is incredible and the campaign is going to be incredible. That's so great. Thank you so much again for taking the time. I know how hectic your schedule is. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much again for sharing all of your expertise, your experience, your advice. It's been so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. This was my first podcast experience. I do love talking about my job and marketing and Macmillan. So if you ever want to have me back, I'm here for you and for your podcast. And congratulations for having the podcast. I think that's a tremendous resource for all the upcoming talent and everyone in the industry. So kudos to you. Thank you so much. Okay, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Slush. Please visit slushpod.com where you'll find episode transcripts, free resources, and forms to submit questions and feedback. You can also follow Slush on Twitter at slushpod, and if you are so inclined, please rate and review the podcast. Slush is hosted and produced by Eric Harden. Slush's logo was designed by Shelby Pack, and its theme music comes from the song Good Luck Charm by Olive Music. Any views expressed on the podcast are personal and do not reflect the opinions or interests of the hosts or guests' employers. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.